Well, today we are venturing into new territory here at Grace as we start a brand new series of messages called Taboo, where we're going to be discussing things that the church doesn't typically discuss. And uh, I made the gut, maybe a little bit gutsy decision, perhaps a very naive decision, a few weeks ago to open up the door for you guys to share me, with me what ideas you wanted me to discuss rather than just choosing them myself. And I have to say, you guys don't throw any softballs my way at all. I mean, this list is ridiculous that you gave me to work with here over these next few months. So I'm going to do the best I can to try to tackle some of these. Um, but um, my goodness, we're going to have, we've got a, quite a lineup here to work through. And today we're going to be starting with a topic uh, that's going to set the tone for the rest of this series, I think, uh, in the next several weeks. And that is the topic of politics. So the question that I received was this. I've heard it said that we shouldn't discuss politics in church. Is that true? Have you ever heard that statement? Right? Maybe, maybe you even believe that statement? Well, personal confession, let me just say this right up front. I have never been much of a political kind of a person. I hated poli-sci in school. I was bored to tears by it. And as a pastor, I had tended to be hands-off of any topics that even had a political whiff to them. Because I'm also a kind of a person that doesn't like it when people don't get along. <laughs> so political conversations are something that I typically just steer clear of in general. And uh, especially these days with the political rancor being the worst it's probably been since like the 1960s. I'm thinking. I mean, if you, all you got to do is flip on CNN or even better yet, check your social media feed every now and then. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? People post stuff on Facebook and Twitter and in other places that they would never actually say to one another face-to-face, thinking that somehow if they post a link to some salacious article that it will cause people to change their views on some political issue. But it doesn't, right? People just assume it's fake news and they just get more uh, set in their ways than they were before. I actually saw one guy who played a post on Facebook right in the middle of the Trump election, which I thought was really appropriate this morning, and I thought I'd share that with you. He said this. He said, Dear person passionately pushing your political agenda on Facebook, congratulations. You have convinced me to change my vote. Thank you for helping me see the light. Appreciatively yours, no one. <laughs> that I actually believe. Now, in this, in this climate, the, as charged as it is, there are, I don't know if you know this, but there are a couple of Christian moms who have gotten pretty popular online. They have this weekly podcast, um, and they've actually recently also written a book. And people like them because one of these women is liberal in their theology, and one of them is conservative in their theology, and also of their view of politics. But they're both in, they approach these political topics informed by their faith which I love. And they actually treat each other as Jesus calls us to in the midst of those conversations, which is amazing, right? Recently, they talked about how bottled up Christians have become in our culture in the last few years when it comes to politics. They say on their podcast, people want to talk, but they're afraid to because anyone who might think differently, if they're afraid that someone might think differently of them, they might shun them, they might perceive them as being a radical. And the problem with all this is, because many of us live lives that are comfortable enough that we're relatively detached from politics, you know, we don't always educate ourselves about what the other side has to say 
about whatever political issue is going on. And we don't always get involved either. Nor do we, I mean, think about it. We're, we're not really affected these days all that much by refugee quotas or by legislation to fight poverty or gang violence. We can do what we want in Oro Valley, pretty much. We can go where we want. We can educate our kids in whatever school we want. And we can wash our hands of politics and get a little bit apathetic toward the plight of others in this world. The church could be a safe place. A safe place to discuss these things and learn together what the Bible says about those issues. What God has to say about those issues. But so often we don't. We, we don't touch those things. So as a result of my studying and praying about this first question that I just chose to tackle here uh, over these last couple of weeks, I have to tell you, better for confession here, I've changed my view on this myself in recent days. Maybe you will too. While I still find it totally inappropriate in church to talk about political candidates or political parties I've really wrestled with the question, shouldn't we understand issues well from God's perspective, including political ones? Shouldn't we come to know how God sees these things so that we can best represent Christ when we are called to? And if so, why would we avoid learning together what the Bible has to say about these issues that affect our world all the time? Grace has always been a part of a a Christian tradition that is known as the Evangelical Covenant Church. And this denomination, one of the distinctives of this denomination has been always about maintaining unity, even when we have different views on whatever topic we're discussing, as long as those views are informed by Scripture. There's this old standing phrase that goes back to the 1800s among those who have been part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and that phrase is, where is it written? In other words, what does the Bible have to say about this issue we're discussing? How can we fall in line with what Scripture says? So we're going to do that in this, in that, this series. And I have to, again, just to be honest with you, I'm a little skittish about this whole thing, but okay, let's talk politics. <laughs> now, um, on, in your online sermon notes today at MyGrace.Church, you'll find I'm going to try really hard during this series to give you extra articles and videos that I had been reading and researching and finding that not particularly for one side or another, but just to kind of help expand your perspective on these issues that we'll be addressing. Um, so feel free to look at those uh, at your leisure here or during the week. They're usually posted all week long. And um, we're going to start today, though, in the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Now, again, this is in your sermon notes, but you can actually just look on the screen here if you want to. Look at, look at this verse. It says, and this is God speaking to his people through Jeremiah. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, this part of chapter 29 is is actually a letter that Jeremiah wrote to those who were exiled in Babylon by a king who had taken them as slaves into his kingdom. Now, this was a long time ago in a very different political climate 
And the Jewish people up until this point had been governed by their own set of laws that were informed in part by their own faith and their own own culture. And now all of a sudden, they've been thrown into the lion's den. Literally, They've been thrown into this other country that's led by this very pagan king. And they are just reeling from it. They're there with very few possessions and even fewer rights. Now, the book of Jeremiah describes the prevailing mood of the Jewish people at that time as they are carted off into slavery in Egypt. And that mood is basically this. You know, this really stinks for us. This is going to be really miserable for us. But, you know, we shouldn't really settle down here. We really shouldn't get involved in this city or community. Let's just... Let's just do what we can to maintain our own unity and just kind of block out the world around us because God won't allow, make, like, make us stay here very long. We'll be here for maybe a couple of years or so and then God will get us out of here. And Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, he lovingly but firmly says to them, no, he isn't. You aren't going to be here for just a couple of years. You're going to be here for more like 70 years and you're going to die here. You're going to raise kids here. So he says, don't fight the Babylonians. He says, settle down, get, uh, work to get along with them, do whatever you can to make this land where you are held captive a better place. Don't see yourselves as victims. Don't see them as the enemy. God has put you here, he said. So seek the welfare of this government that isn't your own. This government that has even put you into captivity inside it. And then Jeremiah even says, speaks for God and says, pray for Babylon and do everything you can for its peace and prosperity. And through people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and later Esther and Mordecai, they did just that. They came to accept what early Christians in the early church also understood, which is this, that we are called as Christ's ambassadors to understand and influence all aspects of the world around us for God, including the government. We're not to control, we're not to, influ- we're not to enforce our faith on others, but we're to influence the world around us and make it a better place. But we can't, listen, we can't properly do that if we don't fully understand the problems and issues of our day from God's perspective, right? Now, you might say, okay, Dave, this is all fine and good, but why should we really get involved as Christian people? Why care? I mean, shouldn't, aren't we supposed to just be worried about leading more people to Jesus? Why should we care about what the government does? Well, I want to walk through a few places in Scripture real briefly this morning and help you to see from a biblical perspective what God has to say about government. And we're going to start with this, that human government is actually deeply biblical. It's deeply biblical. We see this in Romans chapter 13. The government is a God-appointed institution. It's one of only three institutions that God ordained. Government, church, and family were the three that God ordained. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says that there is no authority, no government that God didn't establish. Now think about this. As he's writing this to the churches in Rome, 
What's happening in Rome at the time? They're living under the thumb of a brutal, harsh dictator who calls himself God. And Paul is saying to them, in the midst of that situation, God has ordained this government. God is a God of justice and morality. And Rome says that God has given government's authority to establish laws, to establish to legislate order, and to punish the guilty. God cares about our spiritual lives, guys. But he also cares about food and water and housing and public safety. God cares about the plight of the poor and the disenfranchised. And he cares about morality. No government on earth will ever adequately reflect the kingdom of God. But good government plays a role in the work of God's kingdom now, here on earth, as it fosters the environment for people to live peaceably and to have their rights protected. So we see established in Scripture that God has ordained for government to exist, and government is deeply biblical. But what we also see is that no earthly kingdom can hold a Christ follower's primary allegiance. And this is really important. No earthly kingdom, no government, no empire should ever hold, if we're followers of Christ, our primary allegiance. Philippians chapter 3 says that we are citizens of heaven. And our allegiance is not primarily to some temporary nation here on earth. It says that we are ambassadors for God's kingdom. Influencing the world around us to help people experience life here the way God intended us to live it. But if we're ever compelled to choose it to, to choose between obeying God and obeying the government, we obey God, not the government. And if the culture around us holds political views differently than God's word about life or about sexuality or about protecting the vulnerable, whatever it is, and if God's word is clear, listen. We lay down our perspectives as ambassadors to represent God's kingdom. That's what an ambassador to a country does, isn't it? An ambassador isn't called to a country to speak to what they think is right. An ambassador speaks to what its ruler says is right. Jesus called for obedience to the Roman Empire when he walked this earth. He didn't seek to overthrow a morally bankrupt government, but instead to greatly influence the world around him in the midst of that toward the good. We don't need, it's just my two cents here, we don't need a Christian nation here that seeks to get everyone in the United States to have Christian beliefs or even live by Christian values. God's goal is not to reform the kingdoms and governments of this world through a political agenda. His plan is to establish an eternal kingdom of his own and to use us in the meantime to help people see glimpses of it. There will never be a truly Christian nation here on earth anyway, not till Christ comes again. When we've tried that in centuries past, Christians as fallen people have been corrupted by absolute power. And it's led to things like holy wars, and crusades and the inquisitions of history. 
Let me also say that it isn't wise for us to give our allegiance to any one political party as Christians or to be influenced by some sort of party line that they have because no political party either will ever be able to represent Christ's way fully. We're called by Christ to be influencers wherever we are. Among whatever party we're a part of or whatever country we're a part of, we are called to be the influencers of those who are around us. There's a pastor and author, you may, perhaps you've heard of him, named Tim Keller. And he recently said this, which I thought was pretty good. He said, while believers can register under a party affiliation and be active in politics, they should not identify the Christian church or faith with the political party as the only Christian one. In terms of justice, Jesus is more conservative than the greatest conservative. And in terms of grace, Jesus is more liberal than the greatest liberal. One last thing I think the Bible teaches us about politics is this. And this is so important, guys. I hope you hear this. We are called to do good in the world, but not be of the world. We're called to do good in the world, but not be of the world. In other words, we're not to live in some sort of Christian bubble and disengage from the world around us. We're not to be so focused on ourselves or even on spiritual things that we're no earthly good. We are to strive to do good in the world, to change the world without the world changing us. We're called to work for the good of everyone, especially Christians, but not only Christians. We're to work for the common good, not just by serving others in our community, but by speaking up and influencing policies. A, a few years ago, there was a family who joined Grace Community Church, and I won't name names, but perhaps if you've been around Grace for a while, you know who this person is. And uh, when I first met her, I thought, wow, this is a very political lady. She seems to have her fingers in politics all over the place. And at first, I was kind of confused by it. I'm like, what does she do? I mean, she knew all of her legislators here in Oro Valley by name. She knows those in Phoenix. She even knows the ones in D.C. And over time, she's influenced me to see what she has seen. We lovingly but boldly stand up for what God says is right and good, even when the culture around us disagrees and even calls us names. You might see, for instance, that changing, trying to change something like abortion is a lost cause. But did you know that when the Christianity was first formed in the days of the Roman Empire, abortion and even infanticide were commonplace all over the Roman Empire. Infanticide being the killing of children after they're born. And Christians worked hard to actually stamp out both of those things in their culture, even while they were being persecuted and martyred for their faith. Not only that, but the early Christians in the days of the Roman Empire saw to the banning of gladiator games, which, where they were killing each other for sport. They saw to um, laws against the unethical treatment of animals. Did you know that? They saw to laws against cruel and unusual punishment in prisons. They saw to laws against polygamy. To, they saw to laws granting property rights for women, abolishing the slave trade, and even ultimately in our world, slavery. Even laws uh, giving children in medieval right, in Europe, the right to an education. Christianity was responsible for bringing these laws about. All these things, all these wrongs in the culture, which seemed perfectly acceptable to the world at the time, Christians informed by Scripture looked at them and said, no, this isn't right. 
and as ambassadors for Christ, we are called to do something about it. Not sit idly behind and wait for someone else to do it who isn't informed by Christ's perspective. Did you know that it was a strong influence of Christian ideas that formed the Magna Carta? The Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution. And it was a Christian pastor who led the way, even against Christian people in America, to outlaw racial segregation and discrimination just 50 years ago. I could go on and on and on. Christ calls us, be in the world, but not of the world. Christian author and scholar Christopher Dawson once said this. I love this. He said, Christianity is the soul of Western civilization. And when the soul is gone, the body putrefies. We are called to represent Christ in the world in every way. Making people's lives better and helping them see through it the better life that Christ offers. That means at times standing up for things that God puts on our hearts. Whether, even though it may at times be taboo in our culture or even uncomfortable to us. It doesn't mean that we're to ever be condescending or controlling. We are to love our neighbor, Christ says, unconditionally. Even when they disagree. As one of the political moms that I referenced earlier recently said on her podcast, she said, nothing in the Christian faith tells us to go looking for enemies. We need to view everything we do through the answer to the question, are we leading with love? There's that theme again. That means, can people see Christ in our tweets? Are we clearly acting like the hands and feet of Jesus when we talk with others about politics? Influence based in love means respecting all government leaders, especially the ones we don't like. And it means not tearing into them when we disagree with their policies. It means remembering what Proverbs says, that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words only stir up anger. It means not being paranoid and realizing that God can actually use you even when your candidate loses. Don't forget, it was Christians that turned a horribly evil and corrupt Roman Empire up on its head centuries ago. Christians, when rightly informed and motivated, changed the culture around them and they served as ambassadors, as agents of God's kingdom here on earth by showing love and grace so do politics have a place in church I kind of think it does how else are we going to help educate ourselves and future generations on the unique role that Christ calls us to play in this world do we really just want to be informed and have our children informed by the pundits of CNN and Fox News with a very limited partisan perspective? Or do we want to represent Christ the best way we possibly can? Phoenix Seminary professor Wayne Grudem wrote this recently. He said, if pastors and church members say, I'll let someone else speak about that, where will the nation's moral standards come from? If Christians do not speak publicly about moral and ethical issues facing a nation, who will? Who will? Where will people learn about ethics? 
Where will a nation learn how to tell right from wrong? From Hollywood movies? <laughs> and then he says this. He says, we have a responsibility before God to know what God expects of civil government and what kind of moral and legal standards he wants the government to follow. But how can citizens learn what kind of government God is seeking? They can learn this only if churches teach about government and politics from the Bible. Guys, we are called. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called. You have a calling on your life to be Christ's ambassador. Being an ambassador means understanding and influencing all aspects of the world around you, including the government. So while we're not by any means going to become some sort of a political church here on Latoya Boulevard, trust me, our mission here remains the Great Commission, which is to reach as many people as we can for Christ and help them to understand how to take next steps in faith. But you know what? We can't help others know Christ if we don't fulfill also our role as ambassadors in our city, in our state, and in our nation when God calls us to. So let's take just a few weeks here over the summer and be patient with me and whoever else is on this platform on Sunday mornings and let's discuss issues that the world is talking about anyway all the time. And let's learn how to represent Christ well. Can we do that? Let's pray.